Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. Uh, June 28th, 1997. I am standing up in front of a packed church in a rented suit, feeling all of my 13-year-old awkwardness. I am my dad's best man. And together, we and the rest of the church are watching my new stepmom walk down the aisle. My family is moving an hour away to blend with another family. And as I stand there that day, I am happy for my dad. I don't know what else I was feeling because I've forgotten all of it. I know that at that time in my life, I knew my dad was happy. I knew I was really sad to be moving and I knew I was really angry. Now, anger uh, was not a new experience for me, sort of how my life went at that point. Four and a half years earlier when my mom had died of cancer, I got really mad at God uh, for taking my mom away. I was really mad at my mom for leaving us because logic and grief have nothing to do with each other. And I was really mad at the world for just about anything and for the fact that things like Mother's Day exist. What I didn't know on that day was how much each of us in this new blended family was gonna be carrying into this arrangement. We were gonna blend together. This ceremony was the start button on that blender and we, it turns out, were carrying all kinds of things. I didn't realize that my step-siblings were carrying in the trauma of divorce and poverty. I didn't realize that my little brother was carrying in the expectation that having a new mom would make everything better I didn't realize how much anger and self-righteous indignation I was carrying in my little 13-year-old self. And I didn't realize at the time that my dad was carrying in a really heavy depression. I mean, maybe I should have. My dad had been sad and angry for much of the previous four and a half years, but so was I. I mean, that's, that's grief, right? But it turns out that the things that we all carried in to this splendid family became the things that tore us apart. On that day, my dad was happy. He was excited to be getting married. June 28th, 1997 was a good day in my dad's journey. He was confident that uh, we could be the Brady Bunch, this blended family of ours. We were gonna make it work. And because he was confident, so was I. That failed Brady Bunch experiment that the next few years would be did not do a lot to help anybody's mental health. My dad's depression created a floor of eggshells for all of us to walk on, my stepmom and I in particular, trying to make sure that we didn't do whatever it was that we would do that would set him off. And my dad was not an explosive angry. My dad was a bury it and run away and hide angry. But after a while, you get tired of him leaving the dinner table. My anger, on the other hand, (laughs) 
my anger put a number of holes in the walls of that house. And I would imagine a number of holes in my dad's already wounded heart. And so we would tiptoe around trying to figure out how to coexist and not set each other off. The fact that I gave my life to Jesus about three months later didn't seem to dampen the fire in me that kept oozing out everywhere. And three years in, after countless times of my dad telling my stepmom, threatening to either end the marriage or end his own life, after countless nights of my stepmom sleeping in front of the door because she is a saint and because she knew that if my dad left in the middle of the night, he probably wasn't coming back alive. After three years, she finally convinced him to check himself into a hospital. So he went to a hospital three hours away for a two week, as I remember it, uh, intensive mental health rehab, for lack of a better word. And when he came back, things began to get better. They weren't great, and, and old habits like, like anger and eggshells are really hard to kick. But they got better, and they continue to get better, and I am so grateful that 20-some years later, my dad is still with us, and he is a loving and caring amazing grandfather and father, and he still gives the world's best hugs, and I am so grateful for it. Again, things like anger and eggshells and the habits that we build and the chains we have carried are really hard to discard, but things do get better. June 28th, 2003, I am standing in front of a packed church in a rented suit, feeling all of my 19-year-old awkwardness. And this time, my little brother is my best man. Yes, I do share an anniversary with my parents. It makes it much easier to remember. <laughs> and the beautiful bride that I and my brother and the entire church are walking, watching walk down the aisle is my soon-to-be wife, Wendy. And once again, I didn't realize how much anger and self-righteous indignation I was carrying in to this marriage. I thought because I stuffed it really well that I wasn't struggling with it. And heartbreakingly, maddeningly, I managed to create my own household of eggshells for Wendy to tiptoe around, not quite sure what would set me off. And I... Never hit her, but there were some holes put in that house as well. And it took me almost 10 years to get help. I, I did and said so many hurtful things. I blamed, I roared, I self-medicated. And it took confrontations <laughs> from uh, other Christian men in my life from Wendy on making me face the reality of who I was and what was going on for me to finally get help. I did, and things are not perfect, and things are much better. We just passed 20 years in our marriage, and who I was, the 
first 10 years and who I have been the last 10, very different people. And my kids and my wife feel safe in my house and they trust me. And because of all of the damage I have done in my life, I do not take those things for granted. The chains of my anger that I thought I was hiding so well, that I thought didn't impact anybody but me, the chains of my anger were the weights <laughs> that were holding down our marriage and threatening to drown everything that God had planned for us and for our family. And since beginning to get help, I've discovered something that I think a lot of you have also likely discovered in your life in different ways, different forms. It is amazing to me how much the chains that we discard, that we throw in the corner, we throw out back to rust, the chains that we discard can still carry the comfort of familiarity. And then when life gets really unsettled and really stressful and everything feels new and unfamiliar, that we can go back to those chains and pick them up and wrap them around our wrists and go, okay, I can put these down anytime I want to, but I don't want to because right now they feel familiar. Something about that feels comfortable. There is some comfort in facing or holding on to even really negative, familiar things. I would like to think, I believe I am, more introspective, more reflective than I used to be. And, and when I now go and grab those chains, usually way down deep inside of me where nobody can see it, when I go touch those chains of anger, I go, ah, this feels familiar. And my brain goes, well, yeah, when something like that happens, this is how we react, right? We grab this comfortable thing. We know this pattern. I think I'm able to step outside myself to some degree. Sometimes it takes more time than I would like and understand why, understand what's happening. And I think what I've noticed is that anger is actually built on and driven by something far more subtle, but just as damaging. And so even if you're sitting here going, man, anger has never been my problem. I think there's a warning in here for all of us. One of the beauties of scripture is that as we read through it, we read the stories of the people in it, the very real people lived very real lives and had very real struggles. We discover that we are not alone in this humanness, in our fragility, that the people we read about struggled with love and lust and family squabbles and stubbornness and things like anger. Peter, one of Jesus's, maybe Jesus's lead disciple, exploded with it. David, the hero of the Old Testament, burned with it. And there is teaching after teaching littered throughout scripture on the dangers of anger and why to avoid it and how we have to deal with it. And those teachings show up time after time over the course of centuries of written documents because people continue to struggle with it. 
And they continued to needed to be reminded. That had too many to be's in it. Anyway, they needed to be reminded and retaught that this thing matters. We need to pay attention to it. One of those teachings is actually found near the end of Scripture in a book of wisdom that we call the book of James after the guy who either wrote it or the guy whose teachings were collected to be in it. James was Jesus's brother who did not believe Jesus was who he said he was while Jesus was walking around saying it. But after Jesus's death and resurrection from the dead, he went, oh, that's different. Uh, I want to know more about that. He became a follower of Jesus and actually became a leader of the Jerusalem church. And to anyone who would listen to him, he said this, this is James chapter one, starting in verse 19. He said, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. We've been talking about being community, about how we do that and Uh, We're going to wrap this up uh, next week. As we've been talking about it, I want to start here today, that to form good, healthy, strengthening community, we all need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. For those of you who like to look ahead at the notes and try to fill fill them in and guess what I'm going to say, that was a freebie because it was in the Bible verse. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. As we talked about before in this series, it is my hope that the principles of what we talk about as we talk about being a church community, you find actually apply to all of the different areas of community in your life, to your family, to your neighborhood, to your workplace, and yes, to your church community. And this is certainly one of those principles that we would be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So let's start with anger and then we will work our way back to what lies beneath it. Uh, We live in a world that seems to measure our compassion by how angry we get. That, That somehow you're only truly caring if you're angry and explosive and you're ready to tear apart your perceived enemies. And you really only care about somebody else's hurt if you are angry and ready to tear apart their perceived enemies. The only enemies Jesus made were the angry and self-righteous people. Jesus's compassion played out in meals and healings and conversations. Jesus's empathy played out in giving up his life so that others might have life. Jesus rarely instigated or escalated a situation and when he did, he always knew the other person's heart first. Jesus was quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Not that he never got angry, but he listened quickly and angered slowly. I think we believe that anger is going to produce something for us. 
part of why it seems to be coming a, a social value for us, why we have to be angry to really care about something. We think anger is going to produce for us in some way that we'll get what we want, that we'll make them pay, or at the very least, we'll be able to justify our own actions. That somehow through intimidation or an angry cry for justice, we will create the things that we want. Or I know I'm finding that I use anger to justify my lousy attitude. That, that when I get angry, the first step of anger is way, way below anything anybody else can see. But it comes with a logic of, well, yeah, if that thing wasn't true, if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have to be so grumpy. I blame and I excuse myself, etc. The thing is, whatever anger might produce, and, and the reason we have that belief that it produces things is because sometimes it does. Because sometimes anger and intimidation will get us what we think we want. The problem is that whatever anger might produce for the Jesus follower, the key is actually in what anger does not produce. As we read, anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Anger does not produce Christ-like character. It doesn't produce Christ-like character. If our goal as disciples of Jesus, and this is Jesus's goal for his disciples, so it should probably be our goal as disciples. If our goal as disciples is to be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do as Jesus does, anger will not get us there. And turning to anger, especially quickly, we undercut and cut off what God may want to do in us to grow the character of Christ. On top of that, anger does not produce a Christ-centered witness. It doesn't produce a Christ-centered witness. We are called by Jesus to be his witnesses, to tell of all we have seen and heard and share in our confident hope. Quick to anger doesn't reflect Jesus, doesn't reflect what he's done, doesn't reflect the hope that we have because when we are quick to anger, we've gotten very focused on the circumstances and the wrong and not on what Jesus is gonna do to make it all right, not on the hope that we have in Christ. On top of that, Jesus said that people will know that we're his disciples, that we're his people by how we love, not by how angry we can get or how confrontational our bumper stickers can become, but by how we love, specifically by how we love each other. And the problem is, unfortunately, anger does not produce a trustworthy, vulnerable community. Anger does not produce a trustworthy, vulnerable community. And anyone who's been around someone who is quick to anger knows this. That when you can't rely on someone to hear you out before they get angry or before they speak up, you lose trust. And when you lose trust, you lose the willingness to be vulnerable and to be authentic. And the things that we've been saying over the last few weeks about the value of authenticity to build a community on, about how vulnerability helps strengthen and deepen relationships, if those things are true, then anger undercuts and undermines 
all of that. And suddenly, we're undermining what Jesus wants to do in and through us as people, as a community. Slow to anger, slow to speak. Now, this may come as a surprise to some of you, but I am a person who has been accused of talking too much. Some of you are like, yeah, right now. Anyway, uh, just going to keep going, though, so microphone. Uh, One of the things that I'm working on, I promise, is doing more listening before speaking, is more hearing out the problem before jumping to a solution, more being a present listener rather than formulating my response. I think the major problem with speaking too quickly is actually the same as the major problem with getting angry too quickly, which is why this advice starts the way that it does. Be quick to listen. Because the opposite of quick to listen is making assumptions. The opposite of quick to listen is making assumptions. Think about it. When we don't feel the need to hear out somebody else's reasons or story or feelings, it's because we assume we can fill in the blanks. Or if we just do a bad job of it and we don't actually hear out their story and their reasons and their feelings, we're left with a whole lot of questions about why and how and what. And so we just fill in the blanks with our assumptions and expectations. Or maybe somebody says something hurtful to you and you assume that they meant for that thing to be hurtful, that they knew it would hurt and they said it anyway. We assume that it wasn't fair, that it was on purpose that it deserves our anger. And if we stay angry, we hold on to that anger based on the assumption that they deserve our anger, that they don't deserve to be forgiven, that they don't deserve to be treated the same way that I would want to be treated. They don't deserve to be treated the way that God has treated me. And then maybe we go vent that hurt to someone. And, and now they assume the same things we do because our assumptions are gonna come out in how we tell the story. Or we hear a story about how so-and-so ended up involved with such and such and we assume we know why and how and what they should have done instead. And too often we're happy to tell somebody else that story and the ways we know that person A should have lived it differently. And suddenly we're building our anger and our words and our attitudes and our community on assumptions rather than reality. So when James says slow to speak here, I I do think he's talking specifically about anger, given that that's the context of everything else in that paragraph that we should not respond quickly in anger. But the idea of quick to listen and slow to speak also lines up really, really well with a number of other teachings in scripture on gossip. Gossip 
is that thing that uh, church people like to do and they call it spilling tea or prayer requests and somehow that makes it better. Now the problem is sharing prayer requests and concerns about other people is actually a meaningful part of Christian community. So we need to be able to tell the difference between when we're sharing prayer requests and when we're sharing gossip. So here's how I think you tell the difference and then somebody can correct me when we're done if this isn't right. But I think the gossip happens when you're sharing details of a story beyond what you know to be true. Gossip happens when you're sharing details beyond what you know to be true. You didn't go back to the person that the story's about, or you made your assumptions and now you're sharing them with others. For example, did you hear that the Johnson's kid got in trouble again? Probably got in a fight again, he does that. Or, do you hear the Johnson's kid got in a fight again? It's probably all those violent movies and video games his parents let him have. Or maybe Mrs. Johnson told you what was going on with her son because she needed somebody to talk to and she assumed you would hold that in confidence, not broadcast it. And here's the thing. I think we grossly underestimate the damage that that kind of stuff can do. Because gossip actually causes the same flaws as anger. Gossip causes the same flaws and fractures in a community as anger. We seem to think of anger as being obviously destructive. We sort of see the explosion and the shrapnel. Gossip is just a little thing. It's just off in a corner, in a shadow. We don't really see it. How big a deal can it be? But it does the exact same damage as anger. So let's uh, pull that list up again. Except this time we'll use the word gossip instead of anger. Gossip does not produce Christ-like character. It does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And in sharing beyond the facts, we undercut our own spiritual growth. We are supposed to be committed to the one who is the truth. We undercut our growth in that truth by building our conversations on assumptions and lies. Gossip does not produce Christ-centered witness. Gossip makes us look just like the rest of the world. They can look at a group of people and go, well, if they're gonna talk behind my back like that, well, I can be part of any group doing that. That happens at work all week long. If we are supposed to be reflections of the one who is the truth, then our words need to be built on the truth. If we are supposed to be reflections of Christ's love, gossip doesn't do that because gossip prevents us from being a trustworthy, vulnerable community. And just to address any particular assumptions, um, if, uh, if you're sitting here going, oh man, I wonder what gossipy thing happened that the pastor feels the need to get up and talk about this. There is nothing that I'm aware of promise. We can cut that assumption off. But time after time, as, as people write letters to different communities in scripture, they talk about these kinds of things, about anger and gossip and honesty and relationship and how we engage with each other because they're so important to how we form community. Gossip does not produce Christ-like character, Christ-centered witness, or a trustworthy, vulnerable 
community. If you've ever been a victim to a rumor, you know this feeling. That if I can't count on you to tell the truth or to keep things confidential, then I can't trust you and I'm not going to be willing to be vulnerable and authentic with you. The actions of anger and gossip may be very, very different, but the consequences on a community are actually the same. In fact, in one of those letters, I was mentioning the letter to the uh, church in Ephesus. We see words and anger talked about in the same instruction, in the same warning. So I'm gonna be in Ephesians chapter four, and I'll start in verse 25. Paul, who planted the Ephesian church, writes to his friends, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Pause right there. Because uh, you'll notice on the screen behind me, and if you're looking at a Bible, your Bible probably also has quotes around that phrase, don't sin by letting anger control you. He's actually quoting from Psalm 4. And the reason I bring that up is because Paul's instructions say, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. And many, many people have decided, well, then we can't go to bed while we're still fighting. So we are gonna have this fight till six in the morning until we can get this thing figured out. And if that works for you, fantastic. What Psalm 4 says is don't, let, or don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. I'm not putting this out here as a contradiction. I'm putting it out here as options. You can go either way, whichever one works best for you. Maybe you need to sleep on it and just keep your mouth shut till the morning. Maybe you're not gonna be able to sleep and anger is gonna control you as you lie there staring at the ceiling. So you need to talk it out. You got options, different situations, different people, Okay, that's not really what this sermon is about, but there you go, freebie bonus. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Verse 27, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who Hear them. Words, anger, and stealing, all in the same set of instructions because all three of them erode the trust of a community. Because all three of them, which we think of being very different things with very different levels of harm, actually create the same feelings of reluctance and violation and distrust in people. Let's not rob each other of trust. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Okay, to head toward wrapping this up, one thing I want you to know and one thing I wanna suggest we do I want you to know who does this really, really well. This quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. In Exodus chapter 34, verse six, we read this. The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger 
and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. We saw it in Jesus. We see it in God's description of himself in Exodus 34. As we talked about at our building blocks class the other night, what is true of one is true of all the members of the Trinity. God does this really well. God is patient and compassionate with us. He is patient and compassionate with you. Slow to speak, slow to get angry. I mentioned David earlier. This was David's experience with God. This is Psalm 18, verse six. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Our God hears us. Our God hears you. That is not the same as him doing whatever is on the script that you handed him to do. But he hears you. He hears us. You can take your anger and distress to him and he hears you. He is quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So then we are called to be likewise. And one way I think you and I can get better at this is that we tend to focus on the stop talking so quickly, stop getting angry parts. And again, if that works for you to just say, well, stop it, awesome, that's fantastic. Even if that's you, and I'm gonna guess that's not most of us, I think there is actually a question we can ask that'll be helpful. That when we hit that point of anger or reaction or speaking up too quickly, that we can evaluate what is going on behind the anger. We can ask the question of ourselves, what are you assuming? When you're angry, when you're reacting, when you're speaking out of turn, when you're saying things that you don't know if they're true, when you're speaking up because you just know you've got the right thing to say and you're not listening anymore, what are you assuming? Take the time to ask yourself the question. And then take the time to listen to your own answer. And then go ask the other person about your assumption. Hey, I heard you were in a relationship with so-and-so. Is that true? Hey, when you told me that you thought my idea was a bad idea, I assume you meant that I'm stupid. Is that what you meant? Ask the question. Be quick to ask the question and quick to listen to the answer. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Because when a church community, a marriage, a family, a workplace, a school is full of people who are quick to listen and slow to react, they better reflect the character of Christ. And they build trustworthy, vulnerable, strengthening communities. So let me pray for us as we do that together.
Father God, I know that I have plenty of ways to grow in this. I know that you have done so much work on me already. I know, without even making assumptions, I think, (laughs) that so many people in this room, you have been working on in some aspect of this. And that there's more you want to do in us. Father, would you make us a community of people that is trustworthy, that doesn't rob or undercut the work that you want to do in this community by making assumptions or casting our expectations onto a situation. Would you help us to build conflict and vulnerability and care upon that trust? Would you help us to overflow with love and grace for each other? that we would reflect the love and grace that you've given us. Father, would you give us the courage to go to other people with our assumptions, to say, hey, that hurt, to say, hey, is this what you meant? God, you know that I am last in line to sign up for a confrontation, but but would you make us people who are vulnerable enough and courageous enough, committed to the truth enough, gracious enough that we have those kind of conversations and we build that kind of community? Because I believe that's what you want to do in us. That's the kind of community that reflects who you are. with you. We want to become more like you, whatever that costs us. We want to do what you would do in our shoes. So be it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.